Go to Acts 20, if you would. Acts chapter 20, and then also 2 Timothy 4. Acts 20, 2 Timothy 4. We've been on a series when I've been with you on Sundays that we are, are calling Faithful to Finish. Faithful to Finish. And uh, like all the Word of God, it is very significant, very important. Acts 20, the Spirit of God through Paul talked about how that as he was on the path that God had for him, that at this point in his life, he said the Spirit of God was uh, testifying, verse 22 and 23, the Holy Spirit was witnessing in every city saying that bonds and affliction were waiting on him. Verse 24, he said, but none of these things move me. That's a good phrase to have in your arsenal. <laughs> that uh, if the enemy tries to practice what I call the, the pile up technique. And so that he wants to overwhelm you with stuff. And there will be times that you'll need to brace up and, and speak up. And, and go, go ahead and, and, and try it out loud right now. Say, none of these things, of these things move me. <laughs> and he goes on to say neither count I my life dear to myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God none of these things move me neither do I count my life dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy. Did he have a course? A path? A race? To run? And a course to complete? Is he the only one? Has a course to complete? Do you have a course? A path? Is everyone on the right path? No. Sadly. Many, many are off the course and path that they should be on. God does not make us find and fulfill his, his will and, and course. You have to seek it and you have to cooperate with him. But he doesn't make it hard either. You actually have to be disobedient and ignore and reject something God has shown you in order to get off the course. You won't just do it ignorantly and, and not know. God's faithful. Do you believe that? He, he is faithful. And when something's really important, He's not just going to stand by while you ignorantly run off the rails and you be able to say, well, Lord, why didn't you show me? Well, Lord, why didn't you help me? Nah, you won't be able to say that because He did show you. He did help you. You did know. You might fool some people about you knowing, but you won't fool him. Because he was there when he showed you. <laughs> he knows what you know. Right? 
And um, you have to not listen and, and disobey and ignore in order to, to miss your course. But notice what he said. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear to myself. Notice that term count. Because you're going to see that again in a number of scriptures today. I don't count my life dear to myself. Now this word count is an accounting term. In the word account, what do you see? The word count. <laughs> right? And counting has to do with adding up and a summary or a sum and an amount or a value. I don't count my life dear to myself. How do you count it? Do you count it important, unimportant? All important, not important at all, valuable, precious, extremely valuable, not valuable at all. The Lord leaves these things with us. He won't force us to value what he values. The way he values it. He'll show it to you. He'll let you know it's valuable to him. But then it's your choice. Whether you want it to be valuable to you or not. We really do have a completely free will. We really do. Now in 2 Timothy, if you'd go there, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and verse 6, 2 Timothy 4, 6, Paul then, now near the end of his life, very close to it, the end, he makes this statement, inspired by the Spirit of God. He says, I am now ready, I'm ready now, to be offered, the time of my departure is at hand. He calls his death a departure. A departure is not ceasing to exist. It's just relocating. I see Christian people even going out to cemeteries and trying to talk to uh, loved ones or friends or whoever whose body is buried at a spot. Dear heart, they're not there. Who are you talking to? Do you think they're there? They're not there. They have departed. In a few minutes, you're going to depart from this building. And once you've departed, they won't do any good for anybody to try to talk to you in here. Is that right? <laughs> we see somebody walking around or facing an empty seat and, and, and holding on a conversation. <laughs> we say, who are you talking to? Talking to Dave. Well, Dave departed two hours ago. He's, he's at home watching football. <laughs> he can't hear you. He's not here. 
Don't be superstitious. Don't be foolish. We're Christians. We got the truth. Right? And when people die, that's not ceasing to exist. And their, you know, spirits not floating around a cemetery. That's the old shell they used to live in. They're not there. Do you good to remind yourself of that anytime you go to a funeral or anything like that, a memorial service or a burial, they're not there. They're not there. But neither have they ceased to exist. They just, and if they're a believer, they departed. They departed here and went to be with Christ, which is far better. Would not come back if they could. If you could see them and plead with them to come back, they'd say, no, no. You just finish your job and come be with me. <laughs> no. Nobody who goes to be with the Lord wants to come back here. This place. And it's all we've known But it's not so nice. It's dark. It's full of death. It's full of the curse. We don't realize it, how dark it is, because this is what we were born into, and this is all we've ever known. But the moment you get out of here and you experience the brilliance of the glory of God and the freedom of no curse at all and go where nothing dies, Nothing decays, nothing ages, nothing, not the flowers, not the grass, nothing dies. Somebody says, would you please come back? You say, are you kidding? (laughs) No, no, you finish your race and come see me. (laughs) But we're not, no, we're not going back to that. (laughs) He said, I'm ready. To be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. And as a believer, if you'll pray and walk with the Lord, you'll know when you're getting close to your time to go. And you don't want to go early. You want to finish your race. And that's what he said. That's the reason he knows he's ready, verse 7, because I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Don't you like that? Don't you like that? Don't you want to be able to say that when you get close to leaving here? And you realize, man, you know, I'm about done with my life down here. I think I'm getting close to the end here. Don't you want to be able to say that? Not I'm fully regret. Not I've wasted my life. Not I wouldn't listen to God. I I wouldn't, I didn't even try. No, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Come on, everybody said out loud. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And he goes on to say, and because of that, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Hallelujah. He's looking forward to reward. Mm-mm-mm. Somebody say, glory to God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Go with me, please, if you would, to Luke, the 14th chapter. He mentions, by contrast, in that same chapter we're just reading, about somebody who had been helping him called Demas. And he went on to say, Demas has forsaken us, having loved this present world. Well, we'd have to add to the scriptures to say that Demas finished his course. Because we can understand from that phrase, he got out of his course. He left it. And sadly, there are many people who start pretty good, only to later on become disillusioned, become over-interested in something else. The Bible said Demas loved this world, this present world. There were things he wanted to do that he couldn't do working with Paul. Do you see that? And so he makes the choice. He's leaving Paul. And just pursuing this. And the problem is. Even with a hundred year lifespan. That is nothing. In, in the scheme, big scheme of things. That's like a couple of hours. God time. And you don't. You and I don't have. Five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years to pursue wild ideas and only to realize, oh, that was a mistake. Yeah, but can you make up that last 20 years? Especially if you're already now, you know, 50, 60, whatever. Well, no, you can actually, you can absolutely run out of time. Now, God's merciful. If you'll really get in there and repent and give him your all, it's amazing what God can do with even a fully committed year. Much less five or ten. What did the Lord do with Jesus in three and a half years of ministry? He can do a lot with a short span if, if, if you fully give it to him. He'll use all you give him. Now, in Luke 14, we begin to see why so many don't finish their course. The Master talked about this at length and repeatedly. In all the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them, he talks about this repeatedly. In Luke 14, and we'll start in verse 16. Jesus said, now, now before I read this, the word of God is not like the other sayings and stories of men. These things that the master told, these parables, are not just random or wise stories. They are windows of insight into how things work. And they are eternal truth. Eternal truth. And it, it'll do us well to hear them again and again and meditate on them and seek to understand what was he talking about? How does that apply to me right now? He said, uh, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. He sent his servant at supper time saying to them that were bidden, come. For all things are now ready. 
They all with uh, one consent begin to make excuse. Excuse about what? Why they're not going to come when he called them. Why they're, they're not available when he called them. And uh, the first one said, I bought a piece of ground and I must needs. I've got to go and see it. I pray you have me excused. Now notice the word excuse was used twice in that same verse. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I got to make sure you know I, I didn't get took. Make sure they're healthy. Make sure they plow good and they work good. I pray you have me excused. Now both of these are talking about, you know, your business, your equipment, your work, your stuff, your, your property was the first one. And this is your work. And then the next one, another one says, I've married a wife and so I can't come. <laughs> verse verse 21 he, he didn't even say have me excuse he just said I, I can't <laughs> family property our possessions work our business family and so the servant came and showed his lord these things and remember that two of them at least said, you know, please have us excused. Please excuse us. And so the servant came and showed the Lord, and the Lord said, you're excused. Sure, I understand. Right? Yeah, you know, you got to take care of your work. Right? Yeah, I know you got to take care of your property. Not when the Lord calls. When the Lord calls for something, everything else must take a back seat. That's right. That's right. Property, possessions, work, business, family. Y'all are too quiet. I didn't write this. This is talking to me, just like it's talking to you. Right? No, he was angry. He was not okay with it. He didn't understand. It wasn't okay. He was angry. And he said to the servant, Well, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind, just whoever's available. Why? Because the ones I wanted to come the ones I sent special invitation to, they're not available for me. They got other stuff more important to them than me. So, let's see who's available. Just hit the streets. See who will come. Verse 22. The servant said, Lord, it's done as you commanded and we still got room. That's a big house. The Lord's house is a big house. It's still room. 
And the Lord said, well, go out into the highways and hedges. What does that mean? Everywhere. Just go everywhere and compel them to come in. I want my house full. He's a full God. Filled to the full. I want, come in. I want my house filled. Verse 24. I say to you, none of those men that were bidden or invited will taste of my supper. And if you read uh, Matthew's account, he says uh, they, they weren't worthy. They weren't worthy. This is about valuing. Valuing and priorities. Did you notice our text where he said, I count not myself, my life dear to myself. I count not. Why? He, what he's saying is, none of these things move me. Why? Because normally hearing bonds, afflictions are waiting on you. People tend to just only think about preserving their own life and their life is so important to them they wouldn't think about hazarding it for something else. But he's saying, no, finishing my course is so important to me that I don't count my life dear to myself. I will lose it if that's what it takes to do this. So it is a different value system. Notice what he said, keep keep reading here. This goes on. We'll back up to verse 24. Who wound up going to the master's supper? At the end, he's sending out his servants into the highways and hedges. What does that mean? That means everywhere, every corner. Finds a guy who's not working, not doing anything. He said, Are you available? Can you come to the master's supper? He goes, check my schedule. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I could go. Well, come on then. They got food there? Yeah, yeah. Plenty of food. Who wound up being in the master's great supper? People who were available. People who didn't have other things more important to do. That's why it's going to be so interesting when all this thing unfolds to see who actually is in and who's not in and who gets promoted and who didn't. Because if you read other passages, Scripture talks about not many wise, not many mighty. Why? Because the, the wise and mighty were busy. They were occupied. They had so much going on. They just, you know, sorry. And and did you hear? They tried to be polite. You know, please, you know, have me excused. So sorry. Please send my apologies. (laughs) That ain't going to cut it. That ain't going to make any difference how polite you tried to be because you didn't show. You didn't come. When the master called. Oh, friend. How many think when the master calls? Come on, help me out, church. When the master calls. 
Does it matter what you were doing? Does it matter what they had planned? When the master calls, everything else is supposed to be out the window. Like, hey, I'll have to get back with y'all on that. Why? Master just called. That's why we call him Master. Lord. Right? Lord. Keep going, verse 25. And there was great multitudes with him. Big crowds. We have reason to believe, you know, tens of thousands. If you look at the other scriptures. Big crowds of people were following him. And so he just stops. I guess they're all this mass of people moving. He stops and turns around and says this to them. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Hear how quiet it got. This is not a popular message. Many who only teach their version of grace now don't read these verses much. And many are teaching and preaching a no-cost Christianity. That Jesus paid all the cost. Jesus paid all the cost. He did. But will it cost you and I anything? Did Jesus say it will cost us something to follow him? We're getting into why so many don't finish their course. Because it costs something. It costs a lot of you, of me, to find and fulfill and finish his perfect course and will for your life. Is it worth it? Oh. Oh. You better believe it. Worth it? And then a bunch. But at the time it's costing you. Is it going to feel like it's costing you? Yes it will. Yes it will. Keep reading. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. What does the cross represent? To be a follower of Christ is to, and to be his disciple, is to live like he lived. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, do you remember how it went? Peter and Andrew, well, Simon and Andrew, and James and John were commercial fishermen, and some of the first ones he called. You remember how it happened? He said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And the next verse says, they forsook all. They left their business, they left their boats, they left their stuff, and they followed him. Did it cost them anything to follow Jesus? Yeah. 
You could say it cost him everything. And in Matthew, you know, he was a tax collector. Remember that? So really, he's set for life. And there's reasons why they hated tax collectors so much. But Jesus told him, come follow me. And he left his lucrative tax collecting business. And he's not doing that anymore. Did Jesus leave anything to come help us? Oh, Oh, we have no idea. I said, we have no idea. He took on flesh and became like other men. What a step down. We, We have no idea. He left glory. Philippians said he he didn't think it was a thing of robbery, that he was being robbed, and that he was equal with God. And yet he became like other men and was born in a cow trough, in a manger, and had to walk these dusty roads and, and listen to people's blasphemies and And deal with all the ingratitude and the hate and the junk. And then go to the cross. Did it cost him anything church? Cost him everything. But was he willing to pay it? He was. And when the father called on him to do it. He wasn't too busy running some other part of the universe. (laughs) He was available. Because when something first and something's most valuable to you, you're available. You're available. And so to be a Christian is to follow in the footsteps of Christ. We cannot pay for our salvation. He's already done that. We cannot earn our place in heaven or our righteousness. He's already done that. But what we can do is follow his footsteps and be willing to sacrifice. I said be willing to sacrifice as he was willing to sacrifice to get this job done of building his church. Preaching this gospel to every nation and every tongue and every kindred. Building his church. Reaching the unreached and ministering to his people Will there be some sacrifice involved in that? Yes. Yes. Phyllis and I, just in our 40-some years of ministry, we've started over, I don't know, three or four times. Completely started. Left everything that we had built to that point. Walked away from it. Liquidated it put it into the next arm of the ministry or something, start it over from scratch. And I'll tell you what we are glad we did. Because at the time, it's costing you everything, but oh, if the Lord ever asks you for something, don't blink your eyes till you say yes. What do you mean? Will he ever ask you for your Isaac? Like he asked Abraham. Will he ever ask you for your Isaac? What's your Isaac? 
Isaac, your Isaac is the love of your life. Your, your Isaac is what you've always wanted your whole life. Your Isaac, well, exactly. That's why he asked for it. Because <laughs> there's only one way to see who's first. Whether he is. Why do you say this? If you don't hate father, mother, sister, brother, your own life. If you read Matthew's account, he said it the other way around. He said, if you love them more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Hold your place here. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just back up to Luke 9. This is close by. The Lord's helping us. Luke 9. And let's see. uh, 59. Jesus said, verse 59, he said to another individual, what did he say? Follow me. What is this? It's an invitation? Huh? Call? Doesn't it sound like what he was talking about on that supper? He said, come. Bidden. They've been bidden. They've been called. They've been invited. Remember Jesus also said, many are called. But what? Few. Not not everybody that's called is chosen. Why? Because few respond. Few of the many that it's available to are available to him. He said to another, follow me. And what did the person say? Huh? What would the person say? Did he say, no, I I will not. He didn't say that. Again, we see politeness And missing God. He said. uh, Lord. Suffer me to first. Somebody say first. First. First, Go and bury my father. Somebody say first. 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 What's he saying? Okay Lord. But I got some things. I got to take care of first. That means you just missed it. Because that's what this whole thing is about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Not second. Not third. Did you know the Bible said, and this is in, you remember the giving of the Ten Commandments? It's written in Exodus. It's written in Deuteronomy. Anybody remember the first one? Of the Ten Commandments. You'll have. No other gods. Before me. You'll have no other gods. Somebody say no other gods. No other gods. Colossians says. Covetousness. Is idolatry. What does that mean? Wanting something. Anything. Anybody. Anything. More than you want God. Is having another God. 
another God. And he went on to say, you don't make any image of them. You don't fall down before them. And he goes on to explain, because the Lord your God is a jealous God. Now this is insight into his nature and his being. Now when we hear the word jealous, a lot of times we don't think that's a good word. And there are people who have, you know, they've tried to possess people and control them. And we've called that jealousy. But that's devilish. (laughs) You don't own anybody. Nobody belongs to you. You don't have a right to control them. No, you don't. But jealous, you can't have love without the possibility of jealous. What do you mean? Well, if you're in love with somebody, husband and wife, let's say, and they get involved with somebody else, and you don't care, you're like, okay. <laughs> Did you love them? Uh-uh. And if you really cared about them and valued them and valued your relationship with them, you are never going to be okay with them being intimate with somebody else. You will not be. God is love. Nobody ever loved you more than God loves you. Never have, never will. And so if he loves you that genuinely and that much, he cannot be okay with you having anybody or anything that you love more than him. If he didn't didn't care, if you have an idol or another God, that just would, would reveal he really didn't care about you. He does love you. So he does care. If you got anybody or anything that is above him in your life, God is a jealous God. He wants the number one spot in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your priorities, and then I want there to be any confusion about who's the number one spot. Are any competition for the number one spot? There's number one, and then there's number two. And and they're not close. (laughs) Come on, say that loud. Number one, number two. two. (laughs) So what's he saying? You you can't be my disciple. Now are we still talking about Finishing your course. Because you can't run your race without him. What is your course? You're following him. You're following him. You you can't follow him. He said if you love mother, father, brother, sister, your own life more than me, you can't be my disciple. Doesn't work. 
He also said, you know, you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one and despise the other. You can't do it. So why, why in the world would he say, hate your father, mother, sister, brother? How, that doesn't even sound right to us. Yeah, but he said it. And if you look up the word hate, it means hate. <laughs> I tried to make it say something else. and it just, was... <laughs> But if you look at Matthew's account, he brings it out that you love them more. And that is something you should hate. What do you mean? You should hate anything that gets between you and God. Anything that takes you off the path from Him, away from Him, that separates you from Him, that should be something you have strong feelings about. And in order for our relationships with other people to be right, they need for God to be first place in their life too. Not us, but God. And if God is first place in their life, and God is first place in our life, then there won't be any problems. Because all of us know, you'll never be number one. (laughs) I'll never be number one. In your life. Why? And we'll, and it should be real clear. With you, your relatives, your friends, everybody. Don't make me pick between you and him. I won't even have to pray about it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. Because it will just be. <clears throat> bye. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. And yet, in this ugly world we live in, there are things vying for your attention. Pulling on you. Every man or woman is tempted when they're drawn away of their own desires and tempted. And the enemy is always trying to get you away from God. That's the big deal. To get you infatuated with something else and and you can be sure that a big part of it is not even real. It's fantasy. But it may take you years to figure that out. And he knows that. And by the time you do, you will have destroyed stuff. Relationships. Your your mental health. Your physical health. Your financial well-being. And the thing that will anchor us, the thing that will ground us on sure foundation, on solid rock, keep us safe, is a love for the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, that we love Him more, much more than mother Father, sister, brother, husband, wife, money, things, success, than our own life. And that's how you overcome. That's how you overcome the tricks and snares of the enemy. Because 
in some ways, he's always going to be smarter than you and trickier than you. But if you love God, he won't be able to get past that. Can you see that? If you, you know, maybe your head's swirling about some stuff, but the Lord asks you to do something, and maybe your flesh is screaming, it doesn't want to do that, it wants to do this, but the God you love with all your heart says, no, I want you to do this, then you'll go, well, okay, shut up, flesh, I love God, I've got to do what God told me to do. And the, and the demons will cuss. Because they thought they had you. They thought they had it set up. But it was your love for God. Come on, can you see that? And so it will be costing you. It will be costing you doing what you thought you wanted to do. Oh, but in time to come, you'll see that the price wasn't worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Hallelujah. But you must be willing to to sacrifice. Luke 9, keep reading. Jesus said, follow me. And the man said, well, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, that doesn't just mean that they're having a funeral the next day. He's probably talking about when his father dies. Ever how long that's going to be. And let me take care of all that. And then. And what did the Lord say? Let the dead bury their dead. <laughs> really? <laughs> or in other words. There's plenty of spiritually dead folks. Can take care of that. <laughs> there's plenty of folks. Got no time for me. They won't listen to me. They won't, they won't heed my call or follow my invitations. You let them take care of that. And you come. You preach the kingdom of God. And you get to it right now. Time is shorter than we think. Verse 61. Another one said. So it's given us examples. This happened more than a, one, once or twice. Lord. I will follow you. What's going on? Why are they coming volunteering, saying, Lord, I'll follow you? Well, they're seeing these guys that travel with him, right? Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, those guys. And they're moved by the reality of God that they are hearing and they're seeing. And that's what we're made to do, is to please God and serve God. And so your insides reach out for that. And when you see it and hear some of it, you go, oh, yeah, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I'm supposed to be doing, too. So, uh, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll hook up with you, too. I'll follow you, too. But, uh, but first, <laughs> come on, do you see this? Why does it keep using the word first? Because that's the problem. First, let me go and, and tell them farewell uh, that's home at my house, you know. And what you can hear is some whine. <laughs> some whine. <laughs> Not whine, whine, whine. You hear, it, what are you saying? 
uh, I, I'll come and follow you, Jesus. But just let me go home and tell Mama and them. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and what did Jesus say? Bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, go, go hug Mama. Now see, that's acting like you're leaving the love of your life and going to something you don't love. Why would you be depressed over it? Why would you be forlorn? That the Lord would allow you to have a place in his ministry is the greatest honor of your existence. Huh? I mean, I don't care if it's pushing the broom in the lobby, waving a flashlight in the parking lot. Come on, y'all with me? To have any part in his things is the most important thing you'll do in this life. If it really contributed to accomplishing something he wanted done. And to act like, you know, you can barely stand to do it. What did Jesus say? He said, no man, having put his hand to the plow, and what? Looking back, is what? Fit for the kingdom of God. Let me paraphrase that a little bit. Just, uh, just stay with mama. What do you mean? Well, you'll find this out about the Lord. If you don't want to do it, he didn't want you there. Didn't he say, don't give grudgingly? Didn't he say that? Don't give out of necessity because you think you have to. Why? Because with him, it's always about the heart. Always. Always. He doesn't look like man looks. Man looks on the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. And so you come dragging your feet going, well, all right, okay. I'll do it. <laughs> no, snarky. Go back and stay with mama. You don't qualify. Why? Because you don't value what the Lord is offering you. You don't, you're not seeing, you're not esteeming how precious these opportunities are and how precious these days that we have. These days. And the people of God and the ministries of God and the churches of God that he's allowed us to be connected to, to have a part, to hear his words, to do his things, that should be, that must be priority. Priority. Number one. Number one. Go back to, uh, or over to the 14th chapter again. 14. But can you begin to see why many fail to finish their course? Properties, business, work, family. And see, here's the thing. Not all of these were saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Sorry, no. They didn't say that. 
Well, then why is this such a big deal? Because the enemy knows, even if you don't, how brief your time is. And if he can just get you to procrastinate. But what was the hook? How could he get you to procrastinate? Because I got to do this first. And that opens the door for deception. Can you see that? Because that will not be the end. I said that will not be the end. As soon as you think that's getting under control, there'll be something else that you have to take care of first before you can get to that. And then you look up and five years have gone by. And oh yeah, yeah, we're going, you'll have a, there'll be a good meeting and a good revival and you'll get stirred up again and we're going to do it, we're going to do it. But then there'll be something else that I got to take care of that first before I can do that. Next thing you know, it'll be time for you to leave this life and you never got to it. The enemy knows this. He's crafty. He's tricky. Elsewise, the Lord wouldn't have been so abrupt about this. What was he understanding about them putting something else first? Not at all. No allowances. Why? Because there can be no allowances for anything else being first. Cannot be. Well, you can do it, but you can't be his disciple. Isn't that what he said? Now that doesn't mean you're lost. You can be a believer without being a disciple. A disciple is a follower. Somebody who's willing to turn loose of something else and make him first. A lot more believers around than there are disciples, followers. And that's what he kept saying. You can't do that and be my disciple. You can't love them more than you do me and be my disciple. It doesn't work. Back to Luke 14. He said, verse 27, he said, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he what? Cannot be my disciple. Bear the cross. We can't go to the physical cross and pay the price for anybody's sins. That's already been done. We couldn't do it anyway. What's he talking about? It's, what was the cross to Jesus? It was complete commitment. It was complete trust and faith. It was complete obedience. It was sacrifice. And do you remember what he prayed in the garden? Oh, Father, all things are possible with you. And if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Was he looking forward to going through that? No, no, no. What did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Did he accept the cross? Yeah. He accepted the will of whatever it took to save us. And that's what it took. 
Hallelujah. Should we have the same mentality? Should this mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus? Should it be that we say, whatever it takes to get this job done, whatever the cost. And that's when he goes into this in this very next verse, verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sits not down first and does what? Counts the cost, whether he have sufficient to do what? Finish. Finish it. Now we, we've, we've heard these same words in other verses. Counting and finishing. Counting the cost. Well, to hear a lot of people teach and preach today, there is no cost to you. What do you mean cost? Jesus paid all the price. He did for your salvation. But he didn't pay the cost for you to obey God to fulfill your purpose and course in this life. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. Is it going to cost us anything? According to Jesus, is it going to cost us anything? How would it feel when it's costing you something? Would it be like, oh, whatever, I don't care. Sure. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Costing you something is, is pulling on you. It's, it's like you're leaving something behind. Because you are. <laughs> it's like you're not getting to do something you thought you really, really wanted to do. Did I lose somebody? Is it going to cost us something to be a follower of Christ and to finish our course? Can you begin to see why so many don't? Because at the first moment of it costing something, what happened with Demas? There were some things Demas wanted to do in the world. And he knew Paul wouldn't go for it. (laughs) There's some stuff he wanted to do. His flesh wanted to do. It was worldly. It was ungodly. And I don't know how long it's been chewing on him, but all of us got flesh. I said, all of us got flesh. And if you yield to your flesh and follow your flesh, you will never finish your course. But what would keep you from doing that? You love God. Oh, somebody say love God. You love, you love God. You love God more, more than your own flesh. More than your own life. More than. And if he says, no, you can't have that. Your flesh will cry. And you say, shut up. <laughs> We're going to do what God wants us to do. Your love will be the thing the enemy can't trick out of you. He said, which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first? Count the cost. Whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily after he laid the foundation and is not able to what? Finish it. All that behold him began to mock him and said, this man began to build but wasn't able to finish. Is this talking about finishing? Finish, finish. He keeps saying it. Finish. 
Why would that individual have failed to finish? Why? Lack of commitment. Lack of commitment. They would have finished it if it had been cheap. (laughs) If it hadn't cost much. They were prepared to spend $10,000 on it. Turns out that only got the foundation going. <laughs> and we're going to need another 475000 to finish this project. <laughs> and uh, they're not prepared for that. But that's just being short-sighted and lazy and foolish jumping off into it why didn't you sit down get you some estimates and quotes have an idea what's it going to take not just to start it what's it going to take and as you keep going through things (laughs) we've done this before (laughs) As you get into it, you go, oh. And then say, oh, you want furniture in there. <laughs> and paint, too. Carpets and floors. Okay. Chicka-ching, chicka-ching, chicka-ching. <laughs> but then when you're looking at the real figures and you decide, okay, that's a lot higher than what I thought. But I want it. We want it. Right? What does that mean? Pay whatever it costs. Is that right? Believe for it. Sacrifice. Do whatever it costs. It's not good that many in modern Christianity have the idea that it'll cost them nothing to find and fulfill the will and plan for God. When Jesus has obviously said, the opposite. But you and I know it. Is that right? We see it. We hear it. We know it. And so we want to make an assessment. And we want to say, Lord, help us to see. Count the cost. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for us to get from where we are right here today to the finish line? The finish line of our God-ordained course. Doing what he put us here to do. Accomplishing what he put us here to accomplish. What's it going to take to get there? Because whatever it is. If we're willing. God is able. Is that right? He can add to us what we need. He can add to us the wisdom. The strength. The grace. The, all of those things. But you got to give him. The love part. And the desire part. And the faith part and the willing part. You got to give him the heart part. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And have you read where the scripture said that God is scanning the globe? The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth. He sees. He's scanning the whole globe and billions of people. What's he looking for? What's he looking for? Those whose heart 
is perfect towards him. That word perfect is that same word we're talking about. Complete. All the way to the finish. Whose heart is complete towards him. That he may show himself strong on their behalf. Woo! Somebody say, by the grace of God. Ask me. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.